Welcome to the Immigrant Entrepreneurs Podcast, Episode 3. My name is Lena Warwick, and today I'm so, so honored to chat with Dr. Luis Velasquez. In this episode, he talks about the different ways he had to reinvent himself over and over to get to where he's at right now. This guy's no joke. He's went through several brain tumors, ran a bunch of marathons, Ironmans, and ultra marathons, traveled the world to now holding a strong and successful business. Although Luis's parents didn't provide him with a lot of entrepreneurial advice, he did learn something extremely valuable from his dad's journey that magnified Luis's entrepreneurial ventures. In this episode, we wrap up with Luis giving us three secret success tips that any immigrant entrepreneur should know when starting their businesses. So let's get right to it. I have the honor to bring on Dr. Luis Velasquez, who has founded Vela's Coaching. Vela's Coaching is a Silicon Valley-based company with global consulting and executive coaching expertise. So, Dr. Luis, are you ready to roll? I am ready to roll, but, you know, I think that you should stop calling me doctor and just call me Luis. I want to respect and honor that. I'll go ahead and call you Luis from now. Thank you. Appreciate okay. it. Okay, let's go back to the very, very beginning. Please tell me a little bit about yourself. Where were you born and when did you come to the States? So I was born in Central America, in a, uh, Guatemala specifically. Um, was born in a high up in the mountains from a family that was, um, you know, a farmer family, uh, a family that had little means of uh, economical status, let's put it that way. I grew up in a town high up in the mountains, as I mentioned, and in a time that was very violent. We had a lot of uh, political violence back then. Guatemala had a um, very brutal and bloody civil war for a few years. The area, my whole area where I used to live, was uh, was at the center of that uh, unrest and violence. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so I grew up in those conditions. And uh, to tell you the truth, I don't remember having, I remember having a happy childhood. Mm-hmm. So despite all of the things that were going at the time, you know, I really had a happy childhood. My, my parents were very, you know, uh, loving. And even though we didn't have a lot, what we had was enough. Mm-hmm. We made it work. And uh, so, so, so to me, it was kind of like, oh, this is the way the world is. I didn't know any better. Uh, uh, and it wasn't until I came to the States in 19, oh my gosh, it's been such a long time ago. <laughs> I, uh, I graduated from high school in 1987 and I came to uh, the United States in 1988 on a scholarship uh, mm-hmm. to learn English and um, uh, and get a you know a, a university degree. At that time, it was just it was just an associate of science or associate of arts. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the civil war was about to end, uh, the United States uh, had some sort of a scholarship foundation, and they were bringing students uh, from those areas that were hit by violence to the States so they can have a glimpse of what was possible and uh, to see that things weren't 
as they as we lived on um, back in Guatemala, and it actually did change my life when I came here. I realized that what the way I was living or the way we were living wasn't normal, mm-hmm. and it gave me a glimpse of what is possible. What could I do? So, um, so I, you know, I did my two years here, and I went back home. As part of the scholarship package, I had to go back home and study and, and stay there for about three years or so. But once I went home, I realized, oh, my gosh, you know, I mean, there is a lot. There is another world out there that I need to explore and I need to go and check it out and I need to succeed. So with that in mind, I, you know, I went back and I started looking for ways to get back to the States, uh, which I found another way. I got another scholarship and I went to uh, Florida A&M University in Florida. Let me just ask one thing. Um, Were you born into the civil war that was happening in Guatemala or did it kind of happen and how long was it going on for? The war lasted about 30 years around something along those lines. So, so, but, uh, but in the 19, late 1970s, early 80s was uh, when it was the, you know, it was, it was brutal back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you remember, but all Central America was in, in war and uh, the Iran-Contras uh, situations, the Cold War, you know, the Cold War, uh, the United States and, and Soviet unions never shot a, uh, a bullet to each other, but mm-hmm. the battlefields were in Latin America. And uh, and so we were like proxies for 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 that war. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's so interesting. I hear so many stories from immigrants that they are escaping poverty to come to the states or for better opportunities. But you were just in the middle of violence, and um, you guys were probably just coming out of a very, very critical situation out there. Um, so how, how old were you when you came to the States? I was uh, 17. So I, you know, I finished high school at 16 and then I moved here on uh, 17 on a scholarship without any English at all whatsoever. And uh, uh, I attended a community college and live with a host family to learn English and uh, and get an associate of science in food science. Actually, that was the the thing. So, so that was you yeah. came by yourself. I came by myself. Well, there was a bunch of us, but uh, but I was the only one from my hometown. Uh, actually, there were two Guatemalans only. Uh, there were others. Uh, there were a couple from Honduras, a couple from Panama, a couple of other people from Costa Rica. So you know, if you think about Central America, it's such a small land that, that it was. It was very um, violently shaken in the 70s and 80s. Okay, so let's talk about the struggles that you had to go through when you first immigrated to the States. And you've already mentioned one, which you had no English and you just came to the States at 17 and you had to learn English at college already. That's right, yeah. And uh, I think that, you know, I mean, one thing that I... What is the word? One thing that I, I always like to read. Reading is a passion of mine. I still read a lot. I remember my mom, you know, used to uh, give us some books to read at home. And then at night, you know, sometimes she will actually come home, uh, enter a room and steal the books away from us and turn off the lights. Otherwise, we will read all the <laughs> night. <laughs> so I, love I, it. I, I love had it. that 
have it, let's put it that way. So when I came here, I remember going to uh, the library of that community college uh, and I look at the library and I said, I am going to find the thickest book that I can find in that shelf and I'm going to read it. And I found the thickest book was uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was huge. And I said, you know, this is the book that I'm going to read. And, and that's how I, you know, I decided to, you know, to, to, to learn. I learned to read much faster than speaking. I read first and then I, you know, I understood the spoken, you know, English second. But, but the speaking came, came, came much slower, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's a very smart strategy, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, I, I, you know, one thing that I do and I've been doing all my life is I try to, you know, try to say that my language is pain and suffering because that's what I do. You know, I, I try to find the hardest thing that I can do and I just go do it. Okay, so tell me a little bit about your family. You did, did your parents have any entrepreneurial experience? Did you get any advice from them? No, not at all. You know, as I said, you know, my father was a truck driver. And as a truck driver, you know, he had to travel, you know, the city, you know, moving goods from one city to the next. And then he had an accident. And he was in, I don't know, he was in a wheelchair for about two years. And, uh, but something remarkable happened. Uh, when he was in recovery, he was thinking, you know, I'm going to have my own business. I am going to, you know, I'm going to make someone out of, you know, someone out of myself. My mother and I, you know, were thinking, how are you going to do that? You know, I mean, you're in a wheelchair. You cannot even walk. You're a truck driver. But he said, nope, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it. And, and he actually did it. You know, he started his business with a table, a scale, a mm-hmm. few knives and a few uh, uh, chicken, chicken meat. And he started chicken meat by he started selling chicken meat by the pound. And wow. then all of a sudden, you know, I mean, he a few years later, he actually made it. Now he's an incredibly successful entrepreneur in Guatemala. Just to give you a, you know, like 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 a level of, of, of success that he had when I was growing up and I asked for a bicycle, he couldn't buy me one. He said, no, we cannot do that. My youngest sister, when she uh, was ready to go to college, he bought her a brand new car and uh, and basically a house in the city so she can actually live there. Mm-hmm. And, and and to me, you know, the difference of, you know, buying power and means is it, it was incredibly different from what I grew up. So I guess to your question, did he give me advice? No, I think that what he gave me was inspiration. That's so powerful. That's amazing. And I'm sure there's so much value in that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So before you tell our listeners about your company, tell me about the path that you took. Did you try going into any other fields before starting your business. And I know you've had some turbulences in your journey. Um, so feel free to share whatever it is that you want to. Yeah. So, uh, so, so as I said, you know, I came back to the States and then I had finished my uh, bachelor's and then I was doing, you know, dishes in a lab, you know, uh, washing the, washing the, uh, the glassware and, uh, and, the, and and I was promoted really quick to media making because I keep crashing all the dishes. 
<laughs> but I but I really like the science, you know. So uh, so uh, my professor, you know, the professor that I was uh, working for, uh, he he mentioned that you know if I wanted to do a master's in his lab, and I am like absolutely, I would love to do that. And uh, so I did a master's there. And when I finished my master's, you know, a, a few universities reached out to me uh, because of the research that I was doing and recruited me to, to you know, to, to, uh, to continue a PhD. And uh, uh, so I visited a few uh, universities and I finally settled to go to Michigan State University. And uh, 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 so I got a PhD in botany and plant pathology. Uh, uh, now, if you tell me botany and plant pathology, well, you must have a lot of plants in your house. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, I never work with plants uh, per se. I work a lot of with you know with genes and chemistry and biochemistry. So so I graduated two thousand and two uh, with a PhD and uh, in in botany and plant pathology. I also marry in the process. I marry a wonderful, beautiful woman. And then uh, when I graduated, you know, my goal was to I wanted to become a professor. And I got my wish. I actually was hired as a, a visiting assistant professor at Michigan State University. And I was in my first year of, as a professor when I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. Needless to say, you know, things didn't turn out well for me the way I wanted. You know, like if you think about that, sometimes, you know, you feel uh, people we think that we have a mate. And in my case, it wasn't the truth. It wasn't uh, that way. So I survived the tumor, but neither my professional dreams nor my marriage. So then, you know, I had to figure out, okay, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I was, you know, basically, I, I, you know, I hit rock bottom Mm -hmm. because the only thing that I could do, I couldn't do anymore, you know. And uh, so I, you know, I I studied so far, so long to be a professor and become a PhD. And then all of a sudden, I just couldn't even remember my mother's name when I came out of uh, surgery. So I decided, you know, I started thinking about what else could I do, and I reinvented myself a couple of times over. One thing that I realized is that all the important moments and the pivotal moments in my life have been catalyzed by one person. Either that person gave me an opportunity or that person, you know, uh, uh, gave me a challenge of some sort. In that, in that regards, you know, one person, you know, gave me an opportunity to, 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 to reinvent myself. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and I became a, a a nature person. Now, why I became a nature person? Because you know my ex-wife and I used to uh, be in school together, and uh, and we used to discuss her papers. And when we separated, she left her books at home, and and her books uh, was were nature. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna read those books. I'm gonna get used to this, and <laughs> that's how I decided I'm gonna be. Wow. A and uh, and. With that, and I went to the Middle East. I moved to Saudi Arabia uh, to, to 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 start my career there. Uh, because this person, you know, that I, I was mentioning, you know, uh, he said, you know, I'll, I'll I'll give you an opportunity, but but it's good news and bad news. The good news will hire you. The bad news is that you move into Saudi Arabia if you want it. <laughs> and this is doing HR. Yes. So I okay. went there, and I, as I said, you know, I mean, all that I could do was, you know, I read some books about HR and uh, employee engagement, which is what they asked me to go do. And and in the process, you know, I I, I read a lot, and I used Google. Google became my best friend, and <laughs> some somehow I was able to manage and uh, get a get the things done that I was given uh, uh, the task that I was given. 
And uh, with that, I traveled the Middle East. I traveled all the Middle East and I traveled Sub-Saharan Africa doing HR and coaching. Uh, and I moved to 2000 to move back to the States in 2007 and uh, and still with the company. And in the process, the other thing that I that I realized, uh, as I mentioned, you know, one thing that I do is I try to find things that are difficult and I just go to them. The doctor, when he told me that I probably was not going to work anymore or walk straight anymore. So I decided, well, I'll show him. <laughs> and, uh, and I started That's a to, challenge. Yeah, it's a challenge. You know, it's like, hey, you know, the, 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 the one thing that I found, at least for me, is the biggest satisfaction that I get is when people tell me that I cannot do and I'll go do it. And uh, and so he said, you know, I mean, you will probably won't walk straight anymore. And since then, you know, I've run over 100 marathons and I've done several, you know, many ultra marathons, uh, some of the 100, 100 mile range. And I've done yeah. several uh, uh, Ironman triathlons as well. But so in 2012, I just finished running my, my one of my best races. It's 100 miles. Uh, you probably heard it. It's, it's called the Western States 100. It took me 28 hours to finish it. Wow. And and, and uh, I went to visit the doctor, uh, my neurosurgeon, and, and, and the doctor, you know, he came in and he said, you know, where is the patient? And I am like, I'm the patient. And he said, <laughs> no. And, and I said, what do you mean no? I said, well, I saw the films and the person that I was expecting to see is a person that, it, that, that I was expecting to have some several serious neurological problems. Wow. I don't see any of you on you. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm okay. You know, I'm here for a routine checkup. And I said, well, this is far from routine because you have a big fine ticking bomb in your head. And, and, and he couldn't believe that, you know, that, that I was there standing with that big tumor in my head again. And so he asked me, so what have you been doing? I said, I've been running. <laughs> and, and so what he said is, you know, wow, that's remarkable because uh, I think that you, your body has adapted. Uh, because then you're in such a good health and such a good shape. But uh, having said that, we need to we need to we need to cut this thing again. And I am like, oh my gosh, not again! Wait, but, so we came back? Yeah, it came back. Um, and uh, so in 2013, uh, by the way, I just you know at this time I'm already you know married again with this an amazing woman, and at this time you know she didn't leave me, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but my job, my job didn't last. So when I came back from, from, from the tumor and the, and the, uh, and the surgery, I decided, you know, okay, so what am I going to do now? And, uh, I said, you know what, I'm just going to uh, find my own way and decided to found my company. Then actually, this is my third company. So before I did a, a consulting company, a fitness consulting company, I didn't have the right partner. So I, I, I sold it. Uh, mm -hmm. then I decided to go into another one, but I wasn't the right person to do it. I didn't have enough help. I had money and I completely wasted the money thinking that I could do this on my own. And I just, it didn't, it didn't, it didn't end up well, let's put it away. So I bankrupt. And then I decided to do this third company now that I'm operating successfully, uh, without, you know, taking money from anybody and just do like a small uh, step growth as opposed mm -hmm. to trying to grow as fast as I as I can. 
with money that is not mine. Tell me, tell me what was that? I'm really interested to hear that deciding factor when you got out of surgery and the doctor said, you got to lay low and take it easy. I mean, that's, that's ultimately your health. And how did you take that risk and say, I am taking my body in control and I'm going to start doing all of these marathons and triathlons and ultra marathons. What was that deciding factor for you? Well, you know, I've been thinking about quite a bit. And if you think about this, you know, I mean, one thing, one thing that gives us meaning and gives us sometimes, you know, the, the idea that we're succeeding in life is succeeding. When we're not successful and we're not succeeding, we, we start, you know, making stories in our heads about ourselves. So I needed to find a way to uh, feed, I, I want to say, I mean, not feed my ego, but find feed my auto-esteem or mm-hmm. my self-confidence by just making a small, you know, taking a small wins, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And and so I didn't start running ultra marathons from the start. You know, I, you know, when I remember, you know, the first thing that the, the, the therapist told me is that you have to run two times a day, or actually walk two times a day. And then I said, okay. So I ran the more I, I walked the morning and the afternoon. <laughs> so I used to, I, you know, that's where I am. You know, I tend to do more than I am. I, I'm told to what is expected of me. But my goal is to get those small wins that, okay, I did this. So what is next? What is next? What is next? And that's, that's a slippery slope, you know, of success. Let's put it that way. So for me, you know, like, oh, my gosh, you know, I can do two runs at five miles. Now I can do 10 miles. I'm going to do a marathon. God, I did a marathon, did a couple of other ones. So now what is the next? Is a 50K. All right, let's do a 50K. Yeah. Let's do a 75K. You know, let's do like 100 miles. Okay, what is next? Okay, let's do an ultra marathon. You know, like, let's do two more. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. but, but the point that I'm trying to make is that it's about, you know, Feeling my self-confidence by celebrating the small wins. Mm, the small like that. things make a big, they have what I call an additive effect on how you feel about yourself. I love that. I love that. That's so powerful. Um, so tell, tell us about your company and what it does. So I, as I said, you know, coaching found me in the Middle East. When I moved to the United States and, uh, and I was let go of the company, I decided to found my company. I uh, okay, so let's put it this way: the uh, the the what they what I do is uh, is is known as leadership and executive coaching because that's the name that is given, you know. But I do more than that. Let's put it that way. Uh, uh, my goal is to accelerate the learning of the people that I work with, accelerate the learning so they can change, adapt, and grow and thrive. That's what I do. You know, I work with very successful individuals that uh, that are in in the quest on a quest to you know to get better uh i work with individuals sometimes that are questioning if that's all they got when the reality is that you know the sky is the limit we just need to find a way to make it work so so i call myself a genius no 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 (laughs) i call my you know my my goal or my why let's put it that way or the things that i do uh are driven by my need to reframe the important moments so we can adapt and thrive. Uh, and the way I see this is that in order to 
act differently. We need to think differently. And we need to think, in order to think different, we need to see differently. So, so sometimes, you know, people see things from one perspective. And my goal is to go and offer a different perspective. So when they see things from a different perspective, they're going to think differently and they're going to act differently. Mm. And that's, that's what I do in, 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 a, in a nutshell. Awesome. And so what do you mean by a coaching found you in the Middle East? Is this when you were doing HR or the business yeah. that you were doing before that? No, that was on HR, you know, so HR. as I said, you know, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was, my, my task was doing employee surveys. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting on my office one day when the HR VP of the company that I was consulting with came in and he said, Luis, I am doing a, a presentation. Uh, can you help me? And I said, sure, you know, I can help you. So I went and, I, you know, we talk about things and I help him. And then a couple of days later, he came back. He said, hey, I'm doing this. Can you help me? Sure, you know. And then all of a sudden, he said, you know, I have these other people. Can you help him too? And then, sure, I help him, you know. And then all of a sudden, you know, I was doing more of that. And 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 and, and the company that I was working for said, okay, you know, if you remember in 2005, 2006, we have the, you know, the, 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 the financial downturn and the financial crisis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And consultants were the first ones to go. Wow. And, 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 and so my company saw this, oh, you're coaching, you're a coach. All right, you're a coach. And they, <laughs> and they started to, you know, to, 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 to advertise me and to offer my service as a coach. And so that's how I, you know, I found coaching, let's put it that way. So my style of coaching is different from the traditional coaching. My path to coaching is different, mm-hmm. let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. And how old were you when you started your very first company? I was, uh, let me see, so I, I, I had my, my brain surgery in 30, uh, 34, so the, I was 40-something, uh, mid-40s. Mid-40s. 41, okay. 42. Yep. Okay. And then how long have you had Velas Coaching so Velas far? Velas Coaching was founded in 2013. Mm. Amazing. Uh, and uh, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't all, you know, uh, happiness at the start, you know, at the beginning, as you can think, you know, there is a lot of, uh, um, what is the word that I'm looking for is um, ups and downs. It's mm-hmm. been a slow start. But here is, here is one thing that I learned uh, doing these ultra marathons is that there are actually three things that will kill any race that you do. It doesn't matter what race or what length. It doesn't matter that it is an athletic race or it's an, as a business race or, or whatever. It's pacing, nutrition, and taking care of your feet. So this is how I translate it. Pacing is sometimes people want it now, want it now. I mean, you have to be patient. You know, mm-hmm. you have to be patient and you have to take one step at a time. You know, I guarantee you that all these incredible success stories, like let's think about, you know, uh, uh, Facebook. I am sure that Mike Zuckerberg never thought I am going to build the biggest company, internet company, uh, uh, social media in the world. His mission at the beginning was just to connect the people at the university. So many, many of entrepreneurs and many people that I work with, they have these big, big visions. And when they have big, big visions, it's, it's very disappointing sometimes because it takes a long time or they never get there. And, and that is related to pacing, you know, just taking one, one short step at a time. So small, pace, small wings, right? Small wings. 
That's uh, right. Nutrition. You know, when I say nut nutrition, is you have to eat right. And and in, in the entrepreneurial world, the way I see it is that the more you know, the better you are there. The better you make decisions. You know, the more feedback you get from people, you know, the more the more you research what you're trying to do, you know, your clients, you know, here is one thing that I've seen so many times over and over and over again. Entrepreneurs, you know, think I am going to make this incredible product and they don't ask anybody if this is the right product, if, if, even if the product is, is going to be light. So they spend so much time on building the perfect product and then nobody buys it. <laughs> you see what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. So nutrition yeah. to me is about getting feedback and getting feedback and and, and pivoting immediately. Mm -hmm. And the mm -hmm. other thing that I that I that I mentioned is you know taking care of your feet. You know when you run, I mean if you have a blister and if you don't take care of your blister, you know you're gonna have a hard time. And and the way I see it, you know, like you know, you 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 get a little success and then all of a sudden you start like wasting your money on on a better office, on a bigger car, and all of that stuff. So it's about taking care of your resources and spending them wisely. Uh, 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 so that's that's the way I see it. That's very, very powerful advice that I'm soaking in. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, did you have a mentor um, before you started your entrepreneurial um, journey? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think, as I mentioned, you know, uh, I started looking at all the pivotal moments of my life and I can guarantee and I can actually pinpoint pretty much with certainty that it was catalyzed by one individual. Now, you know, if you think about that, there are many mentors and there are many people that catalyze different things throughout my life. But that gave me a lot of thinking. And I think that there are four relationships that we all should have. Number one is the mentor. And I have had many mentors over the course of my you know, my life, you know, let's put it that way. But also I serve as a mentor to other people because if you want to master something, the best way to do it is by teaching it to somebody else. So I have mentored a few coaches and few have become very successful, let's put it that way, you know. No, I'm, I'm not asking, I'm not saying just because of me, but, 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 but it has helped me to to realize what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. So mentor, mentee, the other two relationships that I treasure tremendously is uh, what I call my running buddy. You know, a person that 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 I can, that I sometimes, you know, uh, that the two of us can do things bigger and better things. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 you know, if you think about, you know, the Google guys, you know, Sergey and, uh, and what is the other name? You know, this is a perfect, perfect way of defining, you know, the partnership. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the other the other the other relationship that I treasure is the competitor. Now, the competitor not to have what he has or she has, but also to see what he's doing or she's doing so I can actually do it myself as well or better. So, so it's not just a mentor, but I, you know, surround yourself with all those four relationships, you know, uh, mentor, uh, mentee, you know, who's your running body and who you're competing against. So that's how I try to, you know, to, 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 to characterize and to, to categorize my relationships. <laughs> yeah. I love it. I love it. So how do you look at failure and how do you overcome failures? Failures. Define failure for me. Okay. So you said you went through a bankruptcy, right? Yep. 
Um, do you think that is a failure to you? I don't think it's a failure. I think that it's an opportunity for change and growth. Yes. And, I love and, it. Speak. And the reason why, you know, I say that is because there are, to me, there are two outcomes, either I win or I learn. And the reason why I say that, because if I categorize as a failure, if you remember when we were talking about why they start running, is because I take care, I, I, we as humans, we're very uh, emotional, let's put it away, and we are attached to our emotions. So I stay away from words that, that potentially can keep me down. That can that can I start using them as a uh, uh, as a way to justify things. Mm-hmm. So when I start running, as I said, you know, I I was looking for the little wins. I was looking for the little wins. Mm-hmm. When I failed, you know, I, I was like, okay, you know, so I failed, you know, so it's it's over, you know. What did I learn? So I won't repeat it again. So the whole idea of failure is is how you see it. And uh, how I see it is, is, is an opportunity for me to grow and, uh, and learn and, 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 and pivot, let's put it that way. And a lot of times when we come out of our failures, we learn so, so much and we become extremely powerful yes. from those failures. Absolutely. <laughs> if you think about this, you know, if you look from the perspective of me achieving my dream of a professor, I'm a, I am an absolute failure. I didn't get there. You know, I, you know, I absolutely. And, uh, but, but, but I see how I am, uh, where I am now as a result of that failure. And I wouldn't change anything in the world, even the brain tumor. You know, you're, you're still a professor because you're mentoring, you're coaching. That is your expertise. So you're still a professor if you think about it. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for feeding my ego. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I know that um, we've talked about um, the failures. We've talked about a lot of your turbulence that you went through. What are some maybe business accomplishments or just achievements that you can think of right now to share with our listeners? Oh my gosh, let's see. Um, Hmm. You know, I mean, so 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 let's let's talk of that for a minute, and 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 I think that you know the entrepreneurial, and especially we're talking about uh, people that are coming to this country and trying to succeed, mm-hmm. and that is one of the things that I am really, really, really taking into big consideration is that me comparing myself to others is not going to take me anywhere. Mm-hmm. And 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 what I'm saying right now is that if I can come in with a list of incredible accomplishments, but that doesn't mean anything to 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 people, you know, to 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 them. That doesn't mean you know, like what I what I like to see, what I want to see is what success means to you. And to me, success means that a you know I'm living a a, 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 a what I call my uh, my purpose life and uh, my purpose is not it doesn't have a bank account number let's put it that way mm-hmm. but that is why success is for me you see I, mean? uh, uh, I, I, I live a life where I, I am always helping others you know coaching is an incredible opportunity for me to help others to succeed and that to me is the biggest accomplishment that I have and again that is not attached to a number. Mm-hmm. Does, that, does that make sense? You're extremely humble. <laughs> 
And I love it. I love it. So, so it's, yeah, so it's not what I have done because it really it is not, um, uh, it, it is what I can do. And that is one thing that I, you know, just talking about, you know, entrepreneurs and talking about immigrants, you know, I've seen a lot of my friends, you know, people coming and they were doctors and they were lawyers and dentists and successful people in other countries. And they come here and people, you know, they expect to have the same success and it's not possible. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then all of a sudden they get disappointed. It just, it just, it just horrendous. And I think that is the mindset of what got you there won't get you to the next level. What got you here won't get you to the next level. And 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 I think that the, the way I see myself is success is not based on what you've done, but what's your potential. Mm-hmm. And what are you going to be? What can you do with what you learn? So, so interesting. I'm taking so many notes. Is giving back either volunteering your time or giving back to the community something that is part of your business values? Totally. Yep. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and again, you know, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> so, 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 so here is another component of, of that, the way I see it. Is, is not doing extra. You see what I'm saying? It's like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm gonna make money, I'm gonna spend this money on, 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 on or I'm gonna do this to, 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 to help others. I think that my, op, my modus operandi or the way I do things is that my whole business is about giving back. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So it's not about, you know, like I'm gonna make a million dollars and then I'm gonna spend, you know, that, you know, $100,000 and giving back. I think that the way I see it is that, you know, my whole business is about giving back. My whole business is about helping others. And, 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 and I got to tell you the truth, you know, uh, I hope that, you know, people don't use this uh, <laughs> when they're negotiating <laughs> with me. When, when we're talking money, I said, you know, I hope I, and I, that the money is not an impediment for us to work together. Mm-hmm. So in other words, you know, I mean, uh, I give them a prize, but if, if that is a problem, you know, we'll find a way. Uh, uh, and that to me is a way to give back. Does that, does that make sense? Yes, 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 absolutely. So I'm not getting out of the way to give back, even though I do. But, but, but I think that the way, the way I operate my business, and I hope that that's the way, you know, I, I keep doing it. And, and it's about, you know, my whole business is about giving back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I love it. So what are some things you would advise the next aspiring immigrant that wants to start their own business that's listening to you right now? So, so I, you know, I read uh, uh, not long ago, I read an article uh, about, you know, what makes Im- groups of immigrants successful in this country. And they had particularly, particularly they were focusing on Jewish immigrants and Nigerians. Those seems that those, uh, those two groups seem to be the more successful in the United States, uh, according to this article, Nigerians and, and Jewish. And so they started to try to figure out what, what was special about these two groups. And they found three things. Number one is that they have a sense of superiority 
In other words, you know, these are people that are very highly educated or, or, you know, or they know what they bring to the table. You see what I'm saying? They, they, they come here and they were successful uh, where they were before. And now they're coming here and they, you know, they, 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 they have a high value of, of themselves. Let's put it that way. The other component is about a sense of insecurity. So in other words, they know what they, they're successful, but navigating this country is new to them. So they're always insecure. You know, like, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. And the other component is in feedback. In other words, they ask for feedback all the time. How am I doing? What else can I do? How else can I do it? You see what I'm saying? And I realized that, you know, looking at myself and looking at other people, those are the three things that I can see in successful immigrants. You know, individuals that come and they say, you know, I, I know what I am worth and I know that I can do this. But they have a, we have a sense of insecurity. Am I doing it right? But at the same time, you know, we look for feedback from others. How am I doing? When those three things are aligned, those people are going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And what I've seen many times with, you know, I mean, even when I came in to tell you the truth, you know, I knew that I was, you know, that I, that I had, you know, that I had something to offer to the world. You know, and I had uh, incredible insecurities, but I didn't ask people, you know, so, 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 so I couldn't get any feedback because I wasn't seeking it. Mm. So in other words, you know, um, uh, and I see this with many of the people that I coach as well, you know, and, 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 and I tell them, you know, this is a mental model that I have is the successful individuals uh, are, they, they know what I bring to the table. They are insecure. Some, some, they have some level of insecurity, and that level of insecurity will allow them to start seeking advice and seeking uh, 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 feedback from others. Does that answer your question? Absolutely. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. So I'm going to wrap up with these short, super, super fast questions, if that's okay with you. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. What time do you normally start your day? I get up uh, around uh, 5.30 a.m. 5.30? 530, 5.30, 6. 6, okay. 6 o'clock is, is, is a little late, but yeah, between 5.30 okay. and 6. Okay. How many employees do you have? I Full-time, we have three, mm-hmm. but uh, but I work with a bunch of other coaches on a 10.99 basis, you know, so I, you know, I, I think, I don't know, we're like 25 or so at the moment. Awesome. How often do you watch TV in a week? Uh, I watch TV uh, probably once a week on Sunday evenings while folding the clothes of my children and spending time with my wife. Awesome. How many hours of work do you normally put in? You know, this is going to sound ridiculous, (laughs) but I don't work. (laughs) I have fun. Let's put it that way. But I how many hours of fun do you have? <laughs> so 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 I start my day. You know, I sit in my office from eight thirty to one thirty, and and that's where I try to do all of my work. And then from one thirty to five thirty, I take over my you know my my child child my domestic duties as a as a co-parent. Uh, so 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 I spend the afternoon with my children and uh, and, and we play and then. From 5.30 to 7, you know, we serve dinner and all that stuff. And then at 7, I sit on my desk and finish my other day until probably midnight. Wow. 
you have a lot of hours of fun. <laughs> I, do. I do. But I don't, yeah, that's one thing that I, that I, that I, I enjoy what I do, you know, so I don't, I, I really do. I really do, you know, and I, I, it's, 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 it's a blessing to, you know, to, to be working in something that I really enjoy doing. Awesome. Last question. What is your favorite food? Oh my gosh. Uh, I got you. <laughs> I have so many favorite foods, but if I were to pick one, I, I think that I go in waves to tell the truth. I, you know, mm. I can see myself liking certain foods for a long time. I, right now I am into sushi. I, we have sushi every Thursday. <laughs> uh, that's our, that's our sushi day. I love sushi. Yeah. So right now it's sushi. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Luis, thank you so, so much. I'm so honored to have you on the show. And you are a true inspiration to all the immigrants listening to you. You had such a story. You've gone through several brain tumors and you've come out victorious. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart to take some time out of your busy life and coming on my show. Thank you, Alina. Bye-bye.